if I'm working with someone as a coach or whatever, and they come to me, I say, listen, this is honestly the ideal way to do this. And this does not require you to run thousands of dollars worth of labs. It does not require you to buy supplements every single month. And this is the ultimate way to do it. Now, this is much harder to do this, though, in the modern world. But I can't morally not share this information with you because this is what I do myself. And so I want you to know that. If you are someone that cannot balance both and you can't spend 12 hours outside every single day to have an optimal life, I can show you how to use very simple stuff and get the best of both worlds. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Movement Matters. I'm your host, Colin Kurtz, and you knew that. I'm going to just get right into talking about the guest today. This young fella, Evan, what an inspiration. All right, so basically he shows up for the, for the sessions, or for the um, recording today, and completely spontaneously does an ice bath. In addition to that, I've never been around somebody who is so committed to data. So the name of the game for Evan here is uh, he is incredibly courageous and purposeful, to say the least. I think you're going to get that. I think you're going to really appreciate that. Evan has been guiding me, or at least specifically kind of helping me better understand the, the need to make sure that we're relating to light and, and utilizing light properly. It's been a huge tool apparently for him. Uh, I haven't quite pulled the trigger on buying these blue light glasses, but given how popular they are and how many people around me use them, it is tempting I'm a little hesitant just because I don't want to... I always like to question things that are supposedly like a fix for what the body's naturally supposed to be able to do or a solution for what the body's naturally able to do, which is regulate itself. And I'd rather rely on my own discipline to just make sure that I'm not getting too much blue light and getting enough um, you uh, ultraviolet light and vitamin D, etc. Um, hopefully I didn't say anything too stupid there, but either way. I don't know. The body has an amazing capacity to take care of itself. And I think generally if we get out of the way, that's the key. But Evan absolutely has proven, especially with modern, all things modern, that there is so much wisdom to taking your your light game to the next level in addition just general functional medicine and paying attention to of course your own mental health and how all of your habits relate to it um evan to say the least has cured himself or um shifted his mental health from i think he would say completely lacking to what he is today which is again extraordinarily courageous and passionate and empirical, evidence-driven young man, an inspiration in that regard, to say the least. I feel like a lazy you-know-what around him when it comes to the all things data. It's impressive. He's impressive. 
Hopefully he comes back for another ice bath because we'll do one when we do it on purpose. It's a hell of a lot easier for everybody. But uh, it was pretty fun to have him just jump right in and, and then get on the mic here. He sat, literally sat in his wet bathing suit. It's not even really fair to call it a bathing suit. Uh, the entire chat. Um, that was fun. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, here's Evan. And I hope you enjoy learning from him because you will definitely learn a thing or two. All right. Be well. So are you warm enough yet? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm totally fine. So, well, right now. There you go. That was great. What a great way to walk into Koru. You didn't even get to really walk in. Actually, yeah, I don't think I was ever It's almost like the, the bouncer. Right. <laughs> yeah, you got to do this first and yeah. then. That's a fun way of having a bouncer. Oh, well. So that was cool. I never have done anything even close to that temperature, that's for sure. And I honestly wouldn't have thought I could do that safely. So that was kind of cool. And it was funny how fast the time flew by. <laughs> I genuinely I don't know what that does to your mind if I would have given it 15 at the higher end so I know it's all about the quality of breathing mm-hmm. literally if you slow the breathing down then time doesn't feel as fast gotcha yeah you <clears throat> we'll do it again we'll prepare we'll get all set up right it won't be so spontaneous you'll rock it awesome you'll rock it we'll make sure you're ready um, I think you did great let's call it a minute check mm-hmm. that box and yeah, you're normally in what you say fifty, maybe sub fifty, but normally around yes. there. And well, that's a new experiment this summer that I've literally done twice. I just purchased <laughs> I purchased this uh, twenty dollars storage bin, like a huge one from Walmart, and oh, that's like, creative. Okay. Well, I'm looking at all but this it's... ice bath stuff online. I'm like, this is so expensive. I'm like, I'm a skinny guy. I can definitely fit into one of these storage bins, and you know, I got like some fifty gallon one, and then I just I'm in a real weird position because I'm I'm tall, but <laughs> I fit in and it works fine. Yeah, the guy before was just asking because he's going back to school. That's why it's his last one for a while. Um, what? How can I do this up at school, you think? And obviously the one disclaimer is not alone, but the other part, if you're going to really do it and DIY it, I think there are so many affordable ways. Mm-hmm. You just described one. What we have, it's literally just the feed tanks, the stock feed. And people do um, freezers, chest freezers, they call them. Okay. I think they're really narrow looking and don't I don't imagine you would be as I don't think they look very comfortable I think what we've got is great and this is what XPT primarily uses well literally just rubber made stock tanks yeah yours is a good size and I will be honest I'm not normally my goal is not to throw my head under it like you have me do with this one well there's a reason there's a reason it isn't just a random like let's see if you can get red in all that is that I've heard of I have very limited knowledge with that, but I've heard of something called like the dive reflex or something. I'm not sure if it's mammalian dive reflex is the phrase I've heard. Yeah, okay. but coupled with everything you were already talking about with the mitochondria, mm-hmm. um, the neurological components, somehow the the mammalian dive reflex slash just getting most of your head in in general stimulates. I mean, it's not like I'm a neuroscience major even let alone scientists but the stimulation of the vagus nerve is apparently the, the sure. relevant part okay got it and when he actually talks about in his cold thermogenesis protocol um he starts he, the dude we were talking about in the kitchen yes the doctor um what's his name again? okay <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know if you were going to edit it to the point where we, that would be understood okay it's dr jack cruz is who we're talking about k-r-u-s-e and oh, like maybe I'd plug that in the beginning. <clears throat> yeah, or I didn't something. know how this was going. Yeah, it might happen. We'll see. All right. <laughs> so he was. Um, he talks about in his protocol, and grant you, he's advertising to 
probably middle-aged people that are overweight. So he does not recommend at all ever starting with going full plunge into cold, mm. even 55 degree water. He recommends at least a month of your face only to trigger that. And then you go into, I think, a normal bathtub with like ice packs, more or less, on your chest. So he'll have like compression things and then eventually moving into the ice bath. Now, clearly people do this all the time without following that and it works out fine, right? Multiple people here are a testament to that. And again, I think that maybe become uh, is because he's dealing with older clients where maybe this could be an issue to really go into some seriously cold water out of nowhere when these people have been chronically ill for years. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And regardless, like we were saying of the potential, you know, the validity of a quote unquote issue, it's just a nice process. Don't force yourself to go to the full extent, so to speak, right away. Let's figure out, you know, let's do one thing and then another thing. And that, yeah, now you're ready and you know you're ready because you took the appropriate steps. Yeah, that sounds much more gentler. Yeah, I've seen plenty of people get in and be too shocked, too, um, yeah, stimulated, and they don't want to do it again. So I think it's obviously just a better approach to take it easy, take your time. I didn't start doing what we just did right away in 2009. I started by just exploring, and I didn't even know why, but just exploring putting my feet in the snow, putting my body in the snow, rolling around, letting colder water and air touch my skin the way that it does every other animal. Right. And eventually this whole thing of getting in an ice bath became intriguing. But years later, it wasn't even really on my radar as a practice until four or five years ago. So 2009 till then, I was just playing around. I had no idea why. I had never heard of Wim Hof. I'd never, XPT wasn't a thing yet. She's like, okay, this is a strange um, obsession slash addiction slash idiosyncrasy that's forming, but I like it enough that I'm going to, I'm not going to judge it. It seems okay. Right. I don't think I'm giving myself frostbite. I don't think I'm hurting myself and I feel pretty, it's pretty exciting how it feels. So let's keep going. Yeah. It's (laughs) a funny story about the one kind of doing it with the snow and stuff. My buddy, uh, probably two years ago now was in the winter and he would always do the same thing where, because I kind of taught him about the benefits of the cold, even though, I had never done stuff like this. I did stuff that you're talking about before, walking around in the snow. You know, it's the winter. Okay, I'll just take my shirt off and we go out in the 30 degree weather and just we stay. Just curious, right? Yeah, see how long we can stay out there. And you guys all know those ring doorbells and how they have these videos of people. So he sees himself in the Chalfont community group, um, you know, like a day after one of these t- sessions that he's doing, where someone posts on the ring, there's a shirtless man running around our neighborhood in the snow. And that just shows how disconnected we are, that this was like something to report. They were literally scared about him. And he had to be like, yo, this is my name. Like, I live right here. Like, this is in- I'm not doing anything weird. I'm just doing this cold stuff for rain. I wonder loss. if it's the guy I'm thinking of. Graham Lichner? No. Okay. Good. All right. There's more than there's a there's a there's a whole gang of us. Right. I love it. <laughs> no, somebody else. You probably wouldn't care if I said his name, but I won't. Um I love that. Yes. And the fact Of course it's provocative. We know why it's provocative, but man, what if it wasn't? That would be I think so much would change. I think not to jump ahead anywhere, but if we could just settle most arguments after an ice bath, like you're not getting anywhere. This disagreement is clearly a waste of it's a waste of time to keep talking about this. Do that and then let's talk. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think things would probably be uh, solved a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Sure. With a lot less bullshit. Um, 
or more accurately, a lot less uh, wasted energy and, and unnecessary suffering, to say the least. But we'll come back to that. So you are literally sleeping outside now for it's it's over two months now. Yes, essentially so, every night for two months now. Yes, and full disclaimer because I, I know I told you this already, but I don't. I'm not being a hero out here. I don't do it in thunder or lightning storms. It's stupid. I had to travel once. You were so in a treehouse last then. night, though, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's in my cave. I go into the cave on those nights. But yeah, no, it's been sleeping in a tent for as long as possible. And well, these two months at least. And then I was going to finish the experiment now. And I technically am going to run the labs again pretty soon just to see the before and after. But off the record and not being tracked, I'm just doing this myself for at least September and October because I'm going to be gone in November. But I thought this was just, hey, I feel good. Like this is working. I don't know that we can explain all of the reasons that that is i have a good idea but why would i fix something that's not broken and it's completely comfortable to me now now it's it was very weird sleeping outside to be honest i had never camped a day in my life before doing this that's um, great and you're you were 24 when you started yeah i never yeah. slept outside of my life at all <laughs> so obviously it's important to understand why you're doing this it's going to of course touch upon the light component mm-hmm. of your entire story which seems pretty big but also the fact that you use this phrase um that run the numbers do what how do you say it? the labs you um you know you're getting real data what did oh. you say though you're getting doing the doing the labs or right well i have lab work before and after and i'm running yeah. the exact same lab work to see what happens and changes here it's just your phrasing i love it cuz it just shows how you're you're coming at this in such a you beautifully meticulous way, which I'm so lazy in comparison. Like, I don't know. This just seems like a cool thing. Let's let me try and let me see what happens and I'll see how I feel. And I, I'll probably be all right. And yeah, fortunately, that's been true so far. But man, I love the fact that you you run the labs and you get the data. Right. And I appreciate that. And maybe you've experienced this because this is the reasoning behind that. A lot of the people don't care about the science, but they're also not as open minded as someone like yourself. So the issue is now they're not doing something that's very beneficial to them because they don't want to take the time to deeply understand it. They're not willing to just do it for no reason. So now I can say, hey, check this out. This is what I did for two months. And this either did or didn't work from an objective standpoint with the labs. And maybe it won't be that big of a difference. I don't know. But subjectively, this is worth doing another couple months for me, even when I have nothing to prove with it. So I'll put it that way. But I do think there's going to be some changes, especially on the hormone test. But the other problem is the reason I had to do the labs is because my health has gotten pretty restored from all of the things that I've been doing the last several years, which is this and a lot of other different things. Well, the light that is, not the camping. So I needed more specific things than just... Was the camping motivated? Oh, thank goodness, that's not us. All right, good. I'll tell you why I was concerned. Um, Was the camping motivated by the light research and the exploration with the light? Almost exclusively. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, go more into that, because obviously we could guess it has to do with grounding as well and um, the quality of air and and the experience of seeing the stars. But right. what do you, th- yeah, where are you at? Well, I admit I'm not grounded with it um, only because I don't necessarily, I haven't used a multimeter on the ground to actually see if we have kind of a dirty ground because we have a transformer on it and I'm in the tent. So the tent acts as, it prevents that grounding from actually happening. So Really? The, yeah, yes. That little yep. bit of plastic? 100%. So, and you can measure that. So that was the biggest issue is like, do I get a grounding mat and do I put the little poles in? And then it's like, all right, well, you're still doing the same things basically if you were inside to a degree. Now, some people will argue, you know, you have the earth's magnetic field, you have 
the Schumann's residence and all this stuff, and you're technically closer to that while sleeping outside than you are in a two-story building in your bed, right? Objectively, that's true. So I do think the main benefits come from the light, but also just from, it's really, when I said that was the major component, it is one, but number two is getting away from the electromagnetic fields. Now, I'm not going tinfoil hat here. I, I think we should actually post the study in the show notes just so people don't freak out at me for this. And I'll happily send it yeah, to you after this. 100%. There was a meta-analysis done showing that- I love how you think this is tinfoil hat material dude that's well the minute you talk about emfs <laughs> with a lot of people it's like oh you know my cell phone's not affecting me my wi-fi's not affecting me not only is it affecting you we have the data to show this but your cell phone provider's not uh, going to advertise there's that to a you. fine line between that and tinfoil though that's so obvious right i mean i if would hope people so are, i'd hope so <laughs> well maybe yeah we'll come back to maybe to why that wouldn't be but yeah, don't worry about it for here. Okay, so I will fact, say... I mean, you you brought a tinfoil hat, right? Well, I mean, I didn't. they can't see me right now. <laughs> this is all supposed to be audio, <laughs> I thought. Until we do the video. Right. right. <laughs> um, but no, there was a meta-analysis done showing that ranges between the 40 and 60 hertz range, which, by the way, for people that don't know, is nothing. If you have your phone on at night next to you, if you have a router on in your house, you have already exceeded that. Congratulations. That is enough to make notable changes in the production of a human being's melatonin. We have seen that definitively 100%. This is not, for those that don't know, by the way, a meta-analysis means we're taking groups of studies and putting them together into one. It's not just one single study. So this is real science. This is actual data. And when I'm, where I'm at right now camping, we have very limited cell service. I do not have any Wi-Fi routers hitting me. I'm obviously not around any power technically because I'm in this giant field more or less. So I've limited that greatly. And I've really no human being can reduce it properly because we are so EMF toxic now that, you know, they can show rate readings in the national park sometimes just from satellites and all this crap that we do. It's, it's a problem that we're going to have to deal with one day, but for right now, you mean even in like deep, deep, deep in the woods, you're saying you can still find it. Yes. And once Elon Musk gets his way and he has his 20,000 5g satellites in the air, there is not going to be one single place on this earth. And this is true. There's not one single place on this earth that's free of electromagnetic frequencies. Wait a second. Man I didn't know Elon Musk had anything to do with that, but <clears throat> obviously, yeah, the word 5g is one of those mm -hmm. tinfoil hat red flags that comes up, especially with things going on today. Sure. Um, for the record, I don't have an opinion on the matter cause I just don't pretend to know enough. Um, and even if we, even if I did, it'd be fun to talk about, obviously, but why? Okay. So just because like you said, this is meta-analysis. This is a lot of data. You'll, you'll explain the data more as we go, but right. why? Hmm. The fun thing that we talked about before, that this is now, it's where I wanted to go when I imagined this, was this concept of like a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. And how much do you relate to the information about the blue light, light in general, EMF? You know, we were just talking about Dr. What's his name again? Dr. Jack Cruz. And he was described, you described how his whole focus was the cold shock, essentially, or you phrased it, how did you... He calls cold, it cold thermogenesis, cold because remember, the body has to create heat to deal with that. Cold thermogenesis, and the there were two parts to it, right? Well, he is big on light. I don't know what else... The light part. Okay, yeah. so the cold therm. <clears throat> Even then, I'm not comfortable saying that those things are... 
like enough or that those are like silver bullets for whatever you want to call it, health, wellness, real wellness. Sure. But how much of it do you think of in that way? So I did not start out with light. I certainly didn't start out with cold. I started out with food and I saw benefits from changing my diet around. And I was still going to bed at two to three in the morning because that's just, I was always a night owl at the time. So I got real light. Ben- <laughs> right. I got real benefits um, within a toxic light environment. So the way I say it, and he actually says a similar thing because I've had to convince myself of it and it took a while, but I now agree with what he said because I did not agree with it at all when I first heard it. It was very much kind of a, oh no, you're wrong because this isn't the way it worked for me. So I wanted to go that route, but I I try to be an objective thinker. And really what he states is this, the light is the most important factor in health. And I 100% agree with that. Now, if I could only change one thing for about 95% of the people, let's say I work with or a doctor out there or whatever, if they were willing to do this type of stuff, if I could only change them to have a quote unquote perfect diet or a quote unquote perfect light environment. And I say quote unquote, because how, uh, how realistic are either of those things in today's world? I would choose the light environment for 95% of clients and the 5% are those that have such strong sensitivities or allergies to foods that it is causing chronic inflammation immediately. The I, other 95 is that. all light. That makes sense. Yeah, I think nutrition is overrated in general. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And you have to understand the the mitochondrial aspect of it because that's really where all of this stuff ties in. The EMF ties in there, the light ties in there, the cold ties in there, even the food ties in there as well. So I had mentioned to you, Colin, about this guy, Dr. Doug Wallace, and he's at a chop, actually, coincidentally, and he's coming up with some really cool stuff where he's seeing that, oh, wait a second, mitochondria and mitochondrial dysfunction, not just mitochondrial disease, because we do see that. This is like a subclinical thing almost still, but dysfunction mitochondria are actually at the roots of almost all chronic disease, so it seems. So then the question becomes, well, how do we fix and repair mitochondria? And this is where all this stuff ties in. When you have the proper light environment, you can do that. When you are in the cold and exposing yourself, you can do that. Um, I'm not as well versed in this one, but when you consume a lot of DHA from fish and those types of things, you can do that. And really, the other stuff with nutrition is more of a second thought. Now, this doesn't mean you eat like a jackass, but you're still causing a burden on the body with that way. But it's just it's not the first thing that I go to if I'm trying to work with someone and make them feel better. It, it doesn't work as quick as the other things. And I've seen it every single time that I've done this. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's a largely very boring topic for people at this point as well. Because right, that's it's, why I, my, I try to shorten myself there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think because it's it's so unnecessarily complicated. It's so obviously a way for people to make a buck. It's so it's kind of abused and um, corrupt in many ways. Right? I think people just pretend they have information that they or um, answers that they don't. It's like, yeah, sure, it's probably not really what you're selling and. It's not hard to see that. And the reality is what you're pushing for is probably there's an easier or simpler approach that probably would have a better impact in the long term anyway. Um, that's kind of the overlap for a lot of what I, you clearly are focused on and what real wellness is normally focused on as well or foundationally built upon is the tools and the methodologies which is different from sort of the the intention, but I'm curious about the intention. That's kind of the exciting part for us to get into. The tools are similar in that they're fundamentally simple, they're essentially free, and in that regard, they're almost literally available to everybody. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why with- That me, is real wellness in a nutshell. Yes, and that's why- so that's why I call it real. <laughs> right, right. And 
I, I do two things now. Well, I, sorry, it's one thing where I explain two things. If I'm working with someone as a coach or whatever, and they come to me, I say, listen, this is honestly the ideal way to do this. And this does not require you to run thousands of dollars worth of labs. It does not require you to buy supplements every single month. And this is the ultimate way to do it. Now, this is much harder to do this, though, in the modern world. But I can't morally not share this information with you because this is what I do myself. And so I want you to know that. If you are someone that cannot balance both and you can't spend 12 hours outside every single day to have an optimal life, I can show you how to use very simple stuff and get the best of both worlds. And that is what most people actually choose, even having both options. But I will never, ever, ever not give someone the full story because, yeah, people are making a lot of money off a lot of BS. And sometimes it's unintentional, right? I didn't know for a time. Many people probably still don't. But yeah, you want the best health protocol? Go to an island that's pretty much uninhabited and touched by modern man and live exactly in the way that that island gives you. And you will naturally become healthy. I 100% believe that based on what I know now. Wonderful. That'll be so easy to build on in terms of how do we break down the value? What values are there in modern living and modernity? Because I figured somehow that's where we'd end up going. And I also want to touch upon the school piece that I saw you um, tickling the other day. But mm-hmm. yeah, an interesting ane- or fun anecdote. The, some of the most memorable places I've ever been are the ones where you can literally see the stars um, in this country, way out west, in certain deserty areas. It's fascinating. But I used to, I was in the Peace Corps in, in the Sahara, right at the Sahel, the bottom of the Sahara. It is a freaking light show. Like you, I can't even describe it. You can literally just watch it like a like a show, and you can see what time it is based on where the constellations are. Oh wow! And it's just that pure and straight up. Like you can see so much. If that's a hundred, and then we are absolutely in the single digits here. <laughs> absolutely, yes, yes, absolutely. And that is a huge point, and it gets to. Yeah, the questions about modernity more directly, because obviously that has to have an effect. Um, And it's not hard to imagine that it would have an effect. But why should people care? And what's to what end is the, I think, the question that comes up, at least to me a lot, but I think it comes up to people around me a lot, too. Um, Like you can't, I was just discussing this with a guy yesterday, you can't expect somebody to want to make a change or to make any kind of significant change or transform any aspect of their life until they wholeheartedly care. Mm-hmm. You got to have the right motivation, probably the right support. It doesn't seem like a lot of people have that motivation. Correct. I mean, and, yeah. <laughs> well, and this is, no, this is a major problem. And it almost gets like into kind of a philosophical question or a conversation because it probably will. Yeah. yeah. I don't think... <laughs> And I'm saying this to myself because this is what I experienced. Most of us as humans are just probably 90% plus are not capable of doing something so abnormal unless we have incredible motivation, which usually comes from pain. So why do I care so much? I've been really sick in my life. Why does my mom now care so much? She's been really sick in her life. So not on rock bottom, right? Right. Not only do you need the pain now, but then you need to have someone come in and say, hey, here's the new paradigm that actually works and you should try that. I mean, there's a lot of different things that need to happen. So this is how this is going to go. It's really one of two ways. Everyone's going, well, regardless everyone's going to keep getting sicker. That's a fact. It's our collective rock bottom. Yeah, that can, this cannot <laughs> um, 
change if we if nothing changed right now in terms of western medicine advancements and society as a whole everyone is going to continue to get sicker and we see that in the data infertility rates are up male testosterone is down 50 percent from our grandfathers we have the issue of the fact that suicide rates are up in every single state from i think it was the early 2000s until about um you know, 2000, maybe 15, 16, they did a study on the rates of suicide in every single state of America. It only went down in one state. That was Nevada by 1%. The highest state was North Dakota by 57%. So when people tell me that mental health issues, for example, are just, they're going up because they're getting more recognition and there's a higher rate of diagnoses. Well, that makes sense. And I do agree with that to a degree. Um, How do you misdiagnose suicide though? You don't, right? So mental health issues are going up. Um, Our life expectancy has been going down for the first time in recorded history for our generation. Objectively, what we're doing is not working. So here are the two options. One, we either change as a society or two, we out technology ourselves with technology. And what I mean by that is the technology that's killing us. We actually create Western medicine that's so advanced that we can heal ourselves somehow. Is the latter probably more ideal? Sure. I'd love to be able to do whatever the hell I want, take a pill and feel a million percent better and have my body repaired. I wouldn't bank on that. (laughs) I wouldn't bank on that anytime soon. So I would probably focus on the natural things until those things come. And who knows, maybe the stem cell field is the most amazing thing in the world. And you know, you blow out your gut and your kidney and liver by drinking all the time and eating crap food and then boop, little injection and hey, here's your new gut kid. Great. If that happens, awesome. Again, I wouldn't bank on it. Not anytime soon. So you, you use the word philosophical. I think it's going to be psychological, too. And I think you know that I tend to not, I can't avoid being religious or spiritual as well, so to I speak. I encourage you to do it. <laughs> yeah, and those are all words that don't necessarily have any meaning, but they're, they, they're relevant, you know, they're good labels in some respects. So I think where I expected we would go in our little exploration here is is quite obvious. To what extent... Yeah, can the quote-unquote modern or technological advancements be helpful, serve us, uh, and serving us in what degree, to what ex- uh, to what extent, in what direction? And regardless of the first part, I think the question is the direction. And where I tend to land, or or at least like sit relatively comfortably i'm not i'm not planted there i'm not a, i'm not a mushroom or a rock there but the thing that seems consistently most important all of these tools obviously being relevant for this aspect is almost completely reforming our motivations for staying alive you know so not to use certain buzz phrases like thrive or survive but clearly just focusing on survival is sort of Mm soul-crushing, but not having any uh, um, intentional activities that are relevant to your survival is ridiculous and not also possible. So there's a middle ground there. To what extent is it a a middle ground? Um, I think you're doing something that I did when I was around your age and a little younger. We're exploring like, okay, how far off... How far away from things can I go? How extreme can I push these, um, these the discomforts and these questions? And more or less, could I even just like a break free from what I was, what's around me? And what I discovered is, oh, I I don't 
you know, of course, know that this is entirely true, but uh, I can't. I can't break free from it completely. I got to figure out how to integrate and be relevant to the times. Um, you know, I, I literally tried to do something akin to like Chris McCandless or Alexander Supertramp, the whole into the wild thing. Okay. <laughs> and, and not to that degree, but it was a, it was a synonymous kind of exploration. And yeah, the gist of what I discovered is I got to be engaged as you've clearly been figured, have already essentially seemingly figured out for yourself, engaged in what's going on now. Okay, so to what end? Um, could we have, a f- could there be a future where the air is clean, the water is, is beautiful and pure, and there's no trash or debris around it? And I have a drone that's my personal drone that's almost like my little messenger drone, and that's an evolution of now and that's there's inherently just a lot of natural beauty coupled with some sort of obvious quote-unquote technological advancement i can imagine that but what clearly needs to shift as far as i can see for that to happen is a psychological even identity crisis like the idea that we're separate seemingly is the foundational problem the idea that we can go that direction and it'll somehow be It'll serve our quote-unquote soul. I just don't think there's a better word for it. I don't pretend to have any clear meaning behind it, but <laughs> um, for it to serve us on a soul level is is clearly wrong. That's what I think you're speaking to when you say objectively not working. Like We are deprived and desperately um, malnourished on that kind of soul level. Yeah, we've got all the tech and we've got all the supplements and we clearly know that that food's better than that food, but it doesn't friggin' matter because it seems like we're completely missing things on that s- purpose level, collective human purpose. Well, right, and the key word is the collective because if you talk to people, most people at least I, that I talk to, on a one-on-one basis, everyone agrees with this. Oh, I, I don't really need it. which part? Oh, just in the sense of like that we would probably be better off you know, doing certain things or rather not doing certain things that we don't really need a ton more technology and we would feel just fine. But the collective keeps pushing forward and we have this illusion of innovation that's actually killing us. So it's not by definition innovation at all. Um, Unless, again, it gets to the point where it is so advanced that it can actually save us from our own downfall, which is totally possible. I just wouldn't bank on it. Um, And then to go- Like a Star Trek future. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, and to go back to your original point, just to be clear of my motives, I'm the, the camping thing is it's not just pushing for the sake of pushing to see how far I can go away from the norm. It is to see how what do I have to do, and I will do whatever it takes, to live within this modern world while still maintaining my health. I never want to lose it again. I don't want to do that. And maybe for me, having you know started out with, you could argue, not the best genetics, even though that's really an inappropriate way of putting it. I might have to do more work than the average person or some other people might have to do more work than me, but I like a lot of aspects of the modern world and I want to continue playing in those things, right? I love business. Like I want to be a part of that, but okay, you know, you felt what it's like to not be healthy. So do you really care about business more than you care about your health and your brain function? No, I don't. So like for me, it's just, it's getting creative, right? And that's why like one of my end goals, separate conversation, but it's just like retreat centers. So I can have this wonderful mix of business, but I can also live in the middle of nowhere. And now I've just turned that into an actual entrepreneurial endeavor and I'm doing the best thing I possibly could for my health, right? So what if that didn't have to function in the context of commodity and business though? Would you have the same excitement? And passion? 
I mean, I don't think it really needs to, but as long as yeah, the modern world's here. I think here, you would have the same exact excitement. So just because the word business is an intriguing aspect of, quote unquote, modernity, it's, it's one yeah. of the lesser, it's not as new as some of the other things. These microphones are pretty modern. Right. But business, maybe not as much, but. I think transactions between human beings have, is sacred. You know, I mean, that's like primitive. It's like, inevitable, always, yeah, yes. yeah. So being so, able to, like you said, communicate fundamentally is the key. Yeah. But that vision of a essentially a homestead that functions as an educational or inspirational space, mm-hmm. more or less what you said when I heard you describe it as that when you said retreat center, I suspect you'd have that passion regardless of the... Uh, financial or the the literal um, you know, making money part. Yeah, well, and again, that's not really why I like the game of business. Money is the money is the point system of the game. It shows you how well did you do. It's it's your you know uh, what's a good game that you collect points somehow. I don't know. Um, Capitalism. It, well, chess. You collect <laughs> chess, other people's yeah. pieces. You know, like it's it's that type of thing. Well, not to take from other someone else because for me, money is a way to impact others. Like that's it would be more for philanthropic purposes. But I just like the business's progression. You know, how big can you get it? How much impact can you have? It's it's more that motivation of business. I just I think it's a battle of wits. I like it's like playing a sport. You're competing. You know, I think business is competition. Mark Cuban describes that really well. He's like, you know, somewhere right now there's a kid out there that working hard as crap to kick my ass. And he's like, that's why I still work so hard. And um, I like that competitive nature of it personally. I hear you. I, you just, okay. So a more direct question, not so much the, um, the purpose part or the to what end question is the motivation. So could you imagine us, the majority of us, playing the game, but not, but for a different motivation or a motivation that isn't purely about. I mean, competition isn't obviously. There's, there's very, there are very few things that I think we can uh, condemn. Uh, there's a small list. I'm not even sure there's much on it. Could be nothing. But the temptation for people to condemn or condone things is pretty normal. So. Uh, capitalism one of those main things like oh i condemn it or i condone it or uh there's aspects of it that i can do blah 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 okay so let's just forget that but what is the motivation even to create or to produce is it somehow could it evolve could that motivation be more about you basically said it with that idea of a retreat center i think it's being of service but even less sort of you know religious or spiritual language would be you are committed it sounds like to um the progress the progress of life the, of life oh, continuing sure. i mean life, the business aspect we just focused in on that that's an afterthought otherwise there's a million things i could do from a business perspective right i don't want to choose a retreat center that's like all hippie-ish you know we're in the middle of nowhere like no wi-fi type of thing there's a million things you could choose for business so no it's just it was more of but a you did go to a retreat center first right yeah which is intriguing um so, yeah, I mean, it's just like, why do you want to win a game of basketball? You know, that's just our drive. Like, we want to win. <laughs> it's just in human nature. Yeah, but why? I mean, I think that just come. well, there's a lot of reasons for that, right? You could argue testosterone is, that just, is probably a part of it. Is that just biology and our, you know, evolution, or? I do think it's a lot of biology. Probably, I mean, no denying some of it, but to what extent is it conditioning, I guess, is the key question. I think very naturally human beings compete with each other regardless of conditioning. Well, I, yeah, I think that's pretty. 
Hey, Dash. Yeah. <laughs> um, Guest appearance. Yeah. Well, okay, okay. And is it, okay, you mentioned testosterone, which obviously is more of a male thing, seemingly, or a masculine component, mm-hmm. but, or an aspect of masculinity, it seems often. So why, all right, is, is that, is there any aspect of that competition or competitiveness that you see as excessive in its normal yeah, yeah, of course. expression? And I don't, listen, I feel like we're, and maybe that was my misrepresentation, I feel like we're honing in on something that is not the main point that I was getting at, and nor is it the main drive. It's no, just a definitely fun not thing. the main point you were getting Like, if at. I had no health issues in my life, I fully admit, like, what I would have done, real estate, lawyer, something. Not to go be immoral and do all that stuff just because I want okay, like how much can we make? And quite frankly, I don't even like nice things that much. I'd give most of my money away. You know, I give a bunch <laughs> of time and my stuff away already. Like I don't really, it's not like, all right, let's make a million dollars for me to keep. It's just like, okay, we did it. Like it's just a high, like it's fun. You know, I have an addictive personality. I feel like maybe it's something well, with that. Plus you want to know that you've got, you know, the ability because we have to be able to spend money for certain things at this stage in the game. Sure, like, but yeah, I don't think you need as much as people think to, Really no, of have course, not. especially well, in America, especially I should be um, put the disclaimer there because obviously we're at a pretty good. If you make thirty thousand dollars a year in America, you're in the top one percent of the world. So, put that in perspective, right? Yeah, that doesn't fly though in most of this country, though. Uh, that's the point. Unless so, you know, maybe if you have a partner making the same, it's it's relatively easy, but it's still pretty challenging. Yeah, Daniel Kahneman. Um, he was a Nobel Prize winning. Uh, Economist, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he won the prize for showing that people, they say money can't buy happiness, but obviously it's associated with things that are happiness, such as feeling free or not feeling you know stressed and confined. Um, and in our modern world where money is an aspect, that's where it can, I see, affect happiness for some people, I think. Um, now, of course, there's clearly ways out of that because there's Buddhist monks. I've been to a retreat where these Buddhist monks have nothing, right? And they live there their whole lives and they're some of the happiest people you've ever met. So I'm not saying that's a rule, but he showed it was right around $72,000 single person. Um, and that can be translated, you know, from currency to currency around the world. There is a significant jump in happiness that happens there that does not really seem to go up much if you go any higher than that. After that, it's completely related to other factors. So um, again, he won a Nobel Prize for this. It's pretty damn cool, I thought. Love it. Mm-hmm. I've seen that place in Stockholm where I think they give those out. Cool. Nice place. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. We, we're honing in on, I am especially, one aspect of what you were getting at it. I just think it's a really fun one, and you're the kind of guy that I can talk about it with. So um, I'm poking at it a little bit longer. Um, yeah, like we said, we have no real plan here. We're, we're going with this this here flow. I know a few other things I, know, I don't want us to get to, and we still got plenty of time. Yep. So the question that clearly we didn't plan to explore but i guess in a way i'm poking at here is could you imagine us as a species um to whatever extent all of us are you know capable of the same things um having the kinds of motivations to improve ourselves and the world around us and take care of each other and um, innovate and create without the current paradigm that I think most of us are operating under, which is that we have to do it. You clearly are not operating in that paradigm, but I think you know a lot of people do. Right. And I wonder to what extent could most, if most of us, like if the scale was literally just tipped towards people are 
essentially, truly free to um, innovate and create within a particular context, and that's actually the norm, the imagination runs wild for me. And that's where I think we... I often think that's where we need to go. I don't know if there's a better option, and I obviously think a lot about this. Like, If we took care of X, Y, and Z, and we were really going to actually alter our culture and civilization say of course to the extent that most people's needs or you know clearly everybody would be ideal everybody's needs to some extent are taken care of which is obviously not the case right now would most people fundamentally health be healthy enough to just want to innovate and create and um take care of each other i mean yeah your original question specifically was can i imagine that yes i can imagine it um, I don't know how yeah. easy that is with 7 billion people. Um, I think that happens more naturally. It seems um, just reading certain parts of history, especially with like Native Americans, that when you're in these tribes, like in a smaller group, mm. it seems like maybe that's a little more uh, it's a little attainable. less daunting, right? Yeah, yeah so I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I really don't think human beings were ever meant to live in cities. I think it's like too many people. It's incredible that we can as a species because most can't. But the fact that we can even do that to the degree that we do it is actually, again, remarkable, but um, I can imagine it. And I even agree that that's the way we need to go. I just, I have no idea how to do that other than having every person experience their own version of, not to, I hate using this term, but like an awakening, a self-awakening, yeah, a self-awareness increasing yeah. um, one at a time. That would probably be the only way. And I don't know. It seems to be something shifting right now, I think, overall for the better. So as on a consciousness perspective, at least. So maybe that is going to happen. And that would be, I'll tell you this. What I can imagine is if we somehow get 7 billion people to do that, holy crap. Our level, there's no limits for what the human race exactly. can do. There's and no that, limits. <laughs> I, brought, I mentioned Star Trek playfully. But I imagine if some kind of exploration, like what's normal in that, story and that fictional narrative for that kind of exploration to be so conventional i assume the the people of earth are primarily uh pretty pretty content yeah <laughs> and clearly that's not the case so yeah knowing that we can imagine that i guess for me that's that's the itch that i i can't help scratch and play with yeah there's know. a lot of barriers that come up along the way unfortunately so because we could all agree on that right and then you remember that it's estimated between one to three percent of males suffer from antisocial personality disorder right they have no empathy ah, for you shit. and i <laughs> and just like they're never gonna play that game they'll never well, why play do they that suffer game. from that and is it a is it a psychosis or is it a pathology that can't be obviously back to what we originally started with can't be shifted that's well it's an interesting point the original terms that people used, and you've heard both of these for sure, was psychopathy and sociopathy. And now they're kind of, it was always under the blanket of antisocial personality disorder, but now they're kind of, well, okay, don't Describe use, that a bit more, though. Yeah, me. they're like, well, that's what I'm trying to do. They don't yes, use sir. the terms, like, let's just use that blanket. But no, they're, I, I think even the psychologist I talked to, I was just talking to a social worker this weekend about this. Like, no, she agrees that there's a difference, and that is that sociopathy is created, and psychopathy is truly born. Like, these are little kids that clearly do not have empathy for others, and there's, like, videos of, like, you know, five-year-old girls that have no trauma, um, and 
nothing happened in their life and they're saying horrendous things that are just so inappropriate for what a human being should be saying, where sociopathy is more clearly linked between, okay, this was a healthy person at one point and abuse and all that stuff did affect them. So cool, we can rule that out. But if 1% of males are still psychopaths, 7 billion people, that's a lot of people that have no empathy and have absolutely zero interest in playing the game that you and I would like to play, where it's, you know, actually trying to create this amazing world for people. They're, they're never going to play that. Even people with narcissistic personality disorder probably won't play that game. So we have these little barriers that come up with all of this stuff that are actually not so little. Um, one by one, they might be little, but percentage-wise, they're not. And I just love abnormal psych, so I'm sorry to... That's just why I throw it in there, but no, that, that is a real consideration, I think. It's, and clarifying that 1% is a lot is obviously... Of 7 billion to is tons. Yeah. yeah. I can't... I mean, I, I can if I really really stop myself but it's so easy for me to just go right to the question of like, all right there's got to be a context a nurture related context for that that can't just be a nature thing there's got to be a nurture element to that and there's so many variables but well I that's like saying is down syndrome a nurture element well oh gosh exactly yeah no they came out of the womb like that so i mean clearly genetic defaults exist now yes can we get advanced enough to fix that chromosomal incident with down syndrome maybe we can can we get advanced enough to fix that whatever you know there's a lot of stuff that goes in the brain there's amygdala amygdala issues (laughs) right um alter to more fit into the collective good let's say that um yeah maybe i don't think comparing and by no means are you doing this and Hopefully you're having as much fun as I am. Oh yeah. But um, people with Down syndrome in general don't. To me, I've I don't think that's apples to apples. Obviously, the lack of empathy that you were describing with somebody. Oh, of course. I'm sorry, and I should have specified that. Of course not. My comparison there was the fact that it clearly exists that we we just want. I'll put it this way. I think we want to believe that, oh, psychopathy has to be nurture. Why? Because it's so horrendous. But we wouldn't, we would never tell someone with Down syndrome or the parents of a child with Down syndrome that, oh, it must be nurture. Why? Because that'd be insulting, right? It's because we don't want to believe that some human being can come out and just be like that, that we say that. But clearly, problems happen all the time, right? People just come out of the womb and no, mom and dad didn't do anything wrong. The kid has Down syndrome. There's so many variables, though. And there's a, hmm. I'll, I'll share some more, I guess, general literature on the matter later when we talk after or something or next time. But I think it's still a good question no matter – I don't want to comment on Down syndrome or things where there's obviously a – you know, the, the presentation is, is clearly not like you and me where even just the ability to use language is relatively, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. relatable. Um so certain, ex- I think, exceptions and enigmas and, and um, those kinds of extremes, I don't n- personally feel a need to, I guess, change their existence or, or deny their existence. The, the focus to me is to what extent, how many of us is really needed? What's the critical mass of people who... For you know, for whom it is possible to shift their habits and therefore their awareness of self and others, such that there's a different norm. The norm is the key, and I think what we're essentially saying is that the norm at the moment sounds to me like we've essentially established 
the norm is has been, and who the heck knows where things are going, but has been. I don't. I don't like oversimplifying things too much, but we are obviously setting ourselves up for that. Um, the awareness in our modern world, so to speak, is normally one of. Hyper focus on a separate individual um, experience. Sure. Yeah, one's separate individual experience as opposed to a collective. I would generally agree with that, yes. Yeah, I'm trying to be really careful. <laughs> there's, there's one of my favorite anecdotes from this great book about child rearing and raising children called The Continuum Concept. Very cool book. The author writes about how she was um, working on a project in, I think it was, it was in the Amazon for sure, down in South America, but I forget which country it was. And to a large extent, it doesn't matter because she was essentially with some indigenous peoples and they probably wouldn't associate with the country anyway. And some European guys who were helping her. And there was a particular day where they had to carry their canoes a pretty great distance from one body of water to another. Mm -hmm. And what she describes is realizing and witnessing how the two different groups, clearly different groups, were relating to that experience dramatically differently. And the one key thing that she honed in on was those people that she came with from, I forget which country in Europe, but it was clearly a European country, were <laughs> hating every second of it and cursing and complaining and griping and having no fun and the indigenous peoples were literally laughing and giggling and getting the same kinds of straining their bodies in the same way getting scraped along the way the same way and it looked like kids playing okay <laughs> and i i hate trying i really resist thinking because i think it can be really dangerous it's like a preface to fascism if you're not careful i really resist thinking of like one thing as being relevant and like being the key and i can't help but wonder though to what extent if we just normalize the ability to play would it change enough and the question is what is enough but would it's probably it one piece of the puzzle for sure i wouldn't argue that you know <laughs> there's a lot of things that yeah it's just going to take a lot of work to get away from there's many pieces of that puzzle, right? And I don't think we're not doing particularly well on too many of the the pieces. So I don't know. I I mean, I I like that story about the you know, people coming down and then the ways that they viewed that is completely different. But it's a cool anecdote. Well, go into school, because you have some thoughts on school that I really am curious to hear. What are you yeah, about. what are you referring to specifically? Just give me like a little Oh, summary. I saw some well, you've worked with in schools before, right? Yeah, I speak in schools. Yeah. Um, oh, do you mean that one just posted the other day? Yes. Okay, yeah. Well, I had talked about, obviously, well, I hope this is obvious. This is being recorded in 2020, and we're kind of coming off the, uh, well, not really what coming off. But oh, we're not coming off as far as I can tell. Yeah, August yeah, fair 5th. enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we have the pandemic going on, and now it's like the question of, okay, how do these schools, how are they running again? And I speak professionally on mental health issues, and really the, the whole goal when I go into a school is yes, to educate, yes, to be motivational, and yes, to give some cool little tips. But really, the primary reason I'm there is to get kids that are currently dealing with mental health issues to ask for help if they've never asked before, and 
to get ones that might deal with them in the future to ask for them and feel completely comfortable doing so when that and if and when that occurs. So I'm concerned right now a lot about the mental health aspect that all this is having because I'll tell you this, uh, doing this for the last couple of years, mental health in schools or just in our youth wasn't that great beforehand. I, I don't even know what that would look like when you add this additional layer to this uh, crazy cake on uh, because it's affecting most of us. Like it was crazy. I've never had, since I've gotten better and healthier, I've never had such a challenging time. And in the beginning of the pandemic, it definitely was. I was just like, wow, that's hitting hard, you know? So I really had to use all the tools in my toolbox to get out of that. But I'm like, I'm like trained for this. Like I've been doing this forever, like, and it's still affected me. So I'm, I'm very concerned about what's happening there. And I really hope that we're still able to find a way to implement, you know, a lot of the work that I do um, and others do to just raise awareness about mental health issues in the schools, even if that's online, fine with me. Right, right. It could be online. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I wasn't clear if you were obviously pushing for kids to, so to speak, be in school, but the mental health part, regardless. Yeah. I, um, I work with a number of younger people, not that we aren't young, but obviously in school, high school and right around college. And, uh, some of them, yeah, it's really scary. What yep. the, where are they, and what are they going to do? And I, yeah, one person can only do so much. Um, I don't know. I don't have the answers for them either. But yeah, this particular curveball definitely adds so much. There's so much less um, structure than they already had. And I think they were missing it anyway. And it doesn't look like things are, uh, you know, like we said, it's only August 5th. We're in the thick of this. I don't perceive anything going to, that's going to get easier over the next few months. No. I mean, as, uh, we will see. I really, I don't have too many opinions on it. I'm not just copping out. Like, I really, I don't have many. I haven't. You have to. Well, get the, opinionated. The thing is, I mean, the data has <laughs> been so confusing that I just don't know. I mean, I feel like if this really was as bad as we originally thought, there would just be there's so much more um, problems. I mean, it's, it's scary when you hone in on one thing. Because when you hone in on, I'm not directly comparing this. Oh, my God. Because I don't believe in this direct comparison. I'm just using an example because it's an easy one. When you compare on something like the flu, and let's say, you know, a bad year in the U.S. is about 60,000 deaths. That's a lot of people, man. And when you really start, you know, stop looking at these as just stats and you start thinking about that as a human being, you know, take one person that you love and then times that by 60,000. We're not even actually really capable, I don't think, in, ge in general, of comprehending those types of numbers, right? We hear about all the people that die in the military each year or whatever. Like, we're not able to fully grasp that. And maybe, thank God, we're not because if I felt as sad for every single 60,000 person or uh, of the 60,000 people that died with the flu each year as I would for my grandmother, I'd be a mess, right? Like I'd, I wouldn't even have made it this far in life because it's just too much to handle. So it's a defense mechanism. But my point in saying that, and the only comparison I have to that to COVID is I think there is unfortunately a ton of fear, whether intentional or unintentional, I probably believe it's unintentional around, oh my God, this number and that number and one more, one more, one more. And we kind of forget that you know, every time you drive, you have a one in 5,000 chance of being in a fatal accident. <laughs> you know, every time you drive, you have a one in 5,000 chance of being in a fatal accident. People die. Like, we die. And it's just like, how much of that do we just completely dehumanize and accept to live in our daily world and versus freak out about? So I don't know. I wish so much of the issues with the numbers hadn't been um, skewed from the beginning because we can't. How can I make a proper opinion on it um, if I don't even have the real data? Like, we, we are. This is. The conspiracy crap aside, right? Because I don't know. I'm sure there's been, there's always conspiracies going on throughout history. Governments have lied, whatever. 
the problem with the conspiracy is you don't actually know what's going on until after the fact, so I'm not going to speculate on any of that. What we do know is that there's faults, obviously, in the testing, because we've seen the what? what? Oh, man, I'm going to have to pull that up. I forget which country it was that sent in a test, one for a monkey and one for a piece of fruit, both of which came back positive for COVID-19. That's a problem. That's major flaws in the testing. So we don't have any realistic numbers. So that's what scares me. And this that is real, by the way. Um, we'll put that in the show notes. But I would never, I don't cite anything that I don't look into myself. Um, but that doesn't get a headline. Not a big one. Why didn't everyone hear about that right away? So I don't know. Um, I can't make an opinion on something that doesn't have accurate numbers clearly. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know where to really go with that either, quite frankly. I just you hear you hear people who have I, I fortunately don't know any of them firsthand. Oh actually no, I do. And you I back in April a friend of mine lost a friend, supposedly because of COVID nineteen. Yeah, COVID nineteen for everyone out there is a real disease by or a yeah. real, you know, <laughs> infection. Like this is a real thing. Um no one's denying that. The thing is though, we live with infections all the time that kill people it's just how bad is this one what is the number seriously and this is where it kind of gets into a crazy debate that i don't even know how to answer what number do we draw the line oh that's the arbitrary number an infection is allowed to kill sixty thousand people a year that's the flu you know kind of at its max in america other than you know of course the some of the ones that have happened throughout history let's take the average sixty thousand a year that's the arbitrary number that's a, the amount of people that we accept in this country are allowed to die each year and then right when it goes to eighty thousand, no, no 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 that's when we shut everything down is it so is it 60? Is it 80? Is it 200,000? Is it 1 million? What is the arbitrary number? Because it is arbitrary no matter what that we allow to die before we shut down a country. I don't know how to answer that one. That's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, and an even more complicated question which as far as I can see is really at the heart of everything happening right now. Uh, pandemic related, um, racism related, um, corruption and government related, uh, conspiracy theory related, all things um, American really, is to what extent has our idea of freedom and our perception of freedom and the concept of freedom become dangerously arbitrary hmm. and fictionalized? I think that in a nutshell is the challenge that we're facing that encapsulates all of it. Oh man, and that I mean, does that land for you at all? Or well, I, I find it very interesting because I'm very um, I'm very neutral with a lot of those topics in this sense. So let's take the mask example, right? Because I think I know where you're getting at with this. You know, some people. Well, yeah, that's definitely one aspect of it. We, yeah, let's go there though. Yeah, so <laughs> people, you know, obviously there's a decent amount of people arguing that the masks are. Um, you know, infringing upon our free rights, correct? And now what is the real motive behind that? They're worried about something else's. It's not really the mask, let's be honest. It's something what comes after that. What else do you force me to do after that? So I'm in the middle with that. Do I think that if I was actually going to do something crazy, I would start out with something like I'm an evil person at the top, whatever that means, right? I would put a mask on first in this case and then try to impose something later. Sure, that's sensible to me. But that doesn't mean that's what it literally is. So you need to be able to balance that, right? The mask is not hurting me. I'm fine with it. So I wear it wherever I go and I don't have any complaints about that. You try to get me to do something more, okay, then I'll believe you. So I just don't think the people that believe that this is something more, even if you think that's totally unfounded, they not wearing the mask is not a, to me, that's not a legitimate argument, right? 
that thing is not hurting you, so who cares? The minute people try to force something that is risky or if you tell and me that, that is every what they're afraid of. That yeah. is almost across the board anybody that I've spoken to, that is their almost a hundred percent. I don't think that's compl- I don't think it's a hundred percent unjustified. I don't think it's a hundred percent unjustified. There's very you know, there's a fun saying that actually in our can I say our men's group? Sure. The men's group. <laughs> As of like, you know, two days ago, yeah. ours. <laughs> Even paying attention though. There's a beautiful playful saying, which I think I actually did mention on Monday, which is all absolutes are bad. Mm-hmm. Or absolutes are always bad. Right. Yeah. And God, yeah. There's so much that hundred percent of the time. And yeah, it, that's why I try to stay neutral because like let's I'm just you I'm not well, saying nuance. I believe this. If there's one, you know, if if there's a word that deserves to win for the for the age right now it's nuance <laughs> right and that's the challenge though of exactly what we were talking about on monday and exactly what you know that men's group wide open really is if we're taking a stand for anything it's the skill that we need to develop to allow for that kind of nuance or complexity within the conversation within your thinking within your perception of reality even, but how much, and that's where I think we're going, is how much nuance is is good for us all. How much relativism, how much, quote-unquote, freedom. And damn, man, that's a obviously a triggering question for a lot of this country at the very least, and certainly for good reason, but... I think that's that's inevitably the question that we're going to be facing no matter what happens over the next few months, no matter what happens in November. What, you know, it's a reckon, um, I guess a reconciliation of our ideas of freedom. Right, yeah. So I will, uh, my final statement on that, I guess, is like, I take it step by step. Um, if you tell me to do something or quote unquote force me to do something that's otherwise in my opinion, reasonable, doesn't really harm me, such as a mask, all for it. I'm not saying I believe for one second this is going to happen. I'm just saying, what <laughs> you know, let's use one of the conspiracy theory examples. Oh, everyone's getting inserted with a microchip. Let's say, God forbid, that was actually proposed. The minute you tell me to do that, yes, I will stand on the sidelines with those other people and fight for my rights. There's no way you're injecting with a microchip for COVID-19. That's outrageous. I haven't seen that happen. I don't think that's happening. So let's take it one step at a time because not wearing the mask because of something you think might be worse in the future is not real rebellion in my opinion. So, all right, I I rarely even entertain this, but you know, especially from Monday, that it comes up in the men's group that I largely um, manage, if you will, or organize and and, uh, orchestrate. So I... Wouldn't want a microchip either, but why would that even be a thing that somebody would want to do? Okay, well, obviously what these people... Well, sorry, I shouldn't say obviously. I believe what these people are really worried about that are worried more the conspiracy uh, side of things. You know, they're worried about control, right? What a great way to control someone would be... Control in what way? Like mind control, so to speak? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that means in comparison to what to me is so obviously... A lack of control at the moment. <laughs> in other words, most of the... Yeah, the reason that I can't even usually take those seriously, not that I'm dismissing, but like, I'm not really going to spend much time thinking about that is because 
you don't even have control at the moment over so much. And sure. what is it you think, whatever you think you have control over, I can tell you don't. <laughs> and that's worth focusing on. And then maybe you're struggling with this fear because of the current state, not what you think could happen, but because of what is actually happening, mm-hmm. which is back to real wellness and somatics and why do ice for god's sake because you really can see to what extent you're not in control at the moment and you could be regardless of viruses regardless of legislation regardless of probably a lot of a lot more weather Mm -hmm. and certainly technology you're proving that too by literally exploring or experimenting with being outside more and in the light, like you're gaining a kind of control, which I would call real control. Yeah, and well, a lot of it's perceived control, right? That's what, like, I had anxiety as a child, and it was so funny, like, you know, you're worried about being on a plane or something like that, and it's all perceived control thing, like, because you're never really, there's so many things that could happen that are outside of it, so I agree with you Yeah, on you that. just were on a helicopter. Yes. Which is not just a plane, I would say that, sure, the open air might be easier in some ways, but a helicopter, man, that's like a roller coaster for some people. That's... That's yeah. a big deal. <laughs> yeah, for me, that was good. Yeah, I was like, okay. I was, I, I didn't realize how much of the heights were an aspect, I guess, because like being only a thousand feet off the ground was much better than the 30,000. Like when I look out of a plane, I'm just like, who thought of this? Well, of course, we <laughs> we know, you know, but it's like, wow, like what a some, concept that some we're bros and people. Right. Yeah. Like, damn. So the thousand feet was a lot more manageable for me, but it was insane being in that um, helicopter. It's just so small. I mean, it's so small. Like you're like in this little, orb you feel like and we're just gonna go i'm like what are we doing like i don't have wings i'm not supposed to be up here like <laughs> but no i was actually pretty calm in that one it was it was surprising that's and what you were saying yeah cool yeah. yeah i was actually more the anticipation was more of the nervous part but i was also with there's a woman in the helicopter and i i listen i'm a total guy in that way I, maybe it's just because i'm still 24 like i'm like all right like cool you know sit, i can do this sit up a little bit like yeah helicopter <laughs> no I got big this, deal. Babe. yeah i fly these all the time like I wanted to be a pilot, actually, when I was younger, you know. So I don't. I don't know, I don't know if like that. that stops when you're. I'm 34. I don't know if that changes. Maybe. I mean, I'm maybe like, like 60, 70. That's about it. But yeah, I am engaged and I do have a son, so it is. Those are relevant variables too. But no, women. Shout out to you because I've done a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have done if you weren't watching. So, uh, for the better, honestly, for the better, because I'm glad I went on the helicopter. You know. So there you go. That's funny. Yeah, that, I was tempted to bring that up earlier because you mentioned something on Monday that. Um, was pretty obviously personal and and important. It's just such an obviously different topic. Relevant in that you've obviously explored for yourself how to um, have a generally more healthy relationship with others and Mm -hmm. with yourself and not be, well, none of the excesses that you referenced on Monday are clearly part of your world now. Um, But given that we only have about 10 minutes because you got to scoot at 20, right? Yeah, we were flying through. Yeah, I know. Well, because we got in that ice bath, man, and then we exp- we're unpacking. Yeah, now that. time's crazy. <laughs> I'm um, surprised it's already three ten. I know. Well, yeah. So we might have to save that particular piece of you know, men and women and relationships in general for next time. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely fine with going there when we need to. Yeah, the that piece though that we we just hit on about um, yeah, back to freedom and the 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 fact that. Control is, you know, you did gain some with shifting these habits. You you are more in control. You just prove that by getting on the helicopter. You're not letting 
any of the thoughts and feelings that you have about uh, something crashing or an engine failing or a bird flying into the um, the propellers, none of those uh, got in your way. Regardless of the woman, you probably would have done it. Probably. So, yeah. Yeah. I think you would have. Um, but you know you can regardless. You've, you've clearly proven that enough. So... It, <laughs> That's funny though. Is that real control or in a final acceptance of lack of it? I don't know. I but go back and forth. Yeah, that example might not be the easiest one to hone in on, but the simple example of being able to move and do something with your own body that isn't so obviously dependent upon technology, like it into ice, I think that's control. Okay. I think that's real control. How could that not be? It might be. I just was posing the question because I do think at least some aspect of me being able to do these things is just a final acceptance of the fact that... like, Well, yeah, but those are different things, though. Like The helicopter and the ice bath are definitely not apples to apples. I would agree with that. Yeah, so just honing in on the the ice bath or sleeping outside even, that Mm -hmm. requires some effort. For a lot of people, that would (laughs) be a very dramatic thing to do. I know people for whom it's even dramatic to put their friggin' bare feet on the ground. Right, yeah. which to you is probably no. That's like the preference. Crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hate wearing shoes. Yes, but that's the point. That's still not necessarily a normal thing for a lot of people, and I generally observe that lack of awareness, aka, or you could call it control, uh, as a a foundation for thinking that there's some kind of external circumstantial shift that has to take place or could take place that is a threat or that um, is going to make everything better. Like, I guess that's the main point about real wellness to me is you gotta, you gotta shift your own habits and body and awareness. Right. That's so obvious at this point though to us, but how can that become more obvious? How do we make that more obvious? <laughs> well, you make it more obvious, but I think by just sharing stories, I always, that's why I'm constantly spreading yeah. it. You know, I don't care how small the following is. I will say the same narrative over and over and over again, possibly enhancing it in certain ways as time goes on. Um, but for the most part, it's just sharing your own light. And how do we make other people do it? You really can't. Um, you no. Know, you share the light yeah. basically for when they have that aha moment. Thank God someone was out there sharing their story about what happened to them health wise so that I was ready to receive that when I was ready to actually say, okay, I need to do something about this. Someone was still sharing that narrative before. The same people that I worked with still existed before I ever did that, but I was ready. And that kind of, I think most of it comes from ourselves. <laughs> um, right. But a lot of people are influenced by others, you know, just one single time. Oh, I never even knew I could. I didn't know I had that option. So there's a lot to that, actually. That's a, I don't have a full answer to that question. I think it's certainly an aspect of both, though. Just by definition, you need <laughs> other people sharing, like, hey, you can do this, and other people saying, hey, I know I can go do this. Right. Yeah. I wonder because of the journey that I've allowed myself to be on and sometimes forced myself to be on, um, how much is it necessary for people to have that rock bottom or that, um, that dramatic, uh, breakdown for the sake of a breakthrough? Could it be that we learn how to just relate to ourselves and the world around us differently and not need that and still be growing and still be engaged in growth. And that's the fascinating possibility that I get from something like that anecdote with the continuum concept is maybe our very relationship with growth and the, the process of living as something that has to be 
tough and hard and we have to work. Maybe that is actually worth, maybe that's flawed <laughs> on a lot of levels. Not just some sort of spiritual level, not just a psychological level, but a like fundamental foundational level of even just how our muscles and bones work. Yeah. I mean, that's well, excellent question, excellent points. And it's something I've thought about before. It's like, do we need... And here's the thing, let's be honest. We hear all these cool stories about someone that hits rock bottom and then turns it around. And, you know, there's a ton of stories where people hit rock bottom and, like, no, then they drug overdose. Yeah. You know, or unfortunately, they take their own <laughs> lives. Probably like, more of them. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's it's terrible. So, clearly, the rock bottom in and of itself is not the answer um, because it does that. But I don't... It. You know who Jim Rohn is? You ever heard him speak by any chance? He's he's no. since passed. Jim Rohn's fantastic motivational speaker, awesome guy. Anyone out there that knows me got this like very specific voice, and he just talks about he's like, you know, why do some people come to the seminars and they change their life? They make a decision today and they're gonna do that, and the rest of them go home and do nothing. He's like, I wouldn't take that class, and what he means is he's like, I just stopped asking that question because I can't figure it out. <laughs> so yeah. he was about I think eighty something when he passed, and he still hadn't figured it out. So I, I don't know what the answer is, and I. Oh my God, as someone who does motivational speaking, if you ever find it, I'll give you a million dollars for it to figure out how do you replicate that for other people and how do you do it predictably? Um, I have no idea. I don't either, or I don't have the answer for sure. I have an idea and I think it does mostly looks, um, relate to the nurture side of things, but that's not just how your parents treat you or your grandparents or even your immediate family in general, that's literally the society as far as social norms are understood and, and taught. Yeah. That's the whole shebang, I think. That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah, that's like a whole topic in and of itself. <laughs> well, I, that's not... That's not different from what we've been talking about to me, though. That is what we've been talking about. No, it's just interesting that you bring that in because I think most people would miss that and perhaps I even would have missed it. Um, I wouldn't initially go there. That's what I more or less meant. I think that's good. Oh, that you okay. Well, that I'm right glad away. we were maybe we're ending with that. But to I think we've been there whether or not it was explicit. I, to me, we've been there the entire conversation because okay. the need to even go from not sleeping outside, so to speak, or even the concept of outside to going and sleeping outside. And, oh, wait, this whole thing with light and I'm up late because of it. And uh, yeah, sure. There's a phone probably that's part of it or some kind of screen, whatever. Oh, wait, I don't have to do it that way. I have choice. Gosh, why was it presented to me that way? Oh, because nobody's because that's the norm. Yeah. That's just what's been going on. Oh, and it wasn't going on when my parents were this age. Huh? So things are changing, okay, and it's changing relatively rapidly. Oh, but they did something similar, sort of metaphorically comparable. Not literally the same, but there was a comparison. Oh, and before they didn't, things were different, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think we can trace certain trends, but if you go, this is the religious, this is the, the why I care about the religion side of things and in the only part, really, is because of the stories. It looks to me like the stories from way, way back, the foundational ones, um, not just Christian and Jewish ones, so to speak, but the foundational ones of Judaism and Christianity, but certainly they're relevant. They're all generally related to, or generally um, positing or positioning us as needing to 
go through that kind of breakdown for the sake of some sort of um, destination, if you will, which actually has a literal cognitive distortion label. It's called Heaven's Reward Syndrome. Okay. I sometimes think that that is almost the entire, as far as the social norms go, uh, issue at the backdrop. The unintentional reinforcing of this idea that there is some sort of reward that we're constantly on this hamster wheel for. And unnecessarily tense because of it. (laughs) Unnecessarily tense to say the least because of it. Not that tension isn't necessary, but the way we would be um, habitually tense isn't necessary. Which can certainly cause anxiety and depression and and make you afraid of them. Yeah, I was about to say, I I only paused because I have nothing to add to that. I thought that was good. (laughs) No, I I could see that because we have the the pleasure of eye contact. Um, Yes. No, yeah, just to circle back or to repeat myself, though, I think we've been talking about that the whole time, though, whether it was explicit or not. To me, that's that's a big part of what I get from you is that you're thinking in those same kinds of ways anyway, whether it's explicit and, and clear. You're thinking in that same kind of vein. Maybe Many I, of the I, questions... I yeah. Well, it looks like it. Many of the I questions... I don't disagree with you. I yeah. might just not have, have had a, as clear awareness of it. Well, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's three seventeen. Um, awesome. You've got a scoot, right? I do. Got a scoot. So let's uh, let's see. What do you think of Monday? We're doing it again, or what do you think of Monday at the men's group? You mean? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wide ra- open. Yeah, rather interesting. Rather yeah. interesting. I will say that that was pretty cool. Um, and again, I was just impressed in a short interaction that you could tell I would even like something like that because I do think that's a very specific, for better or for worse, personality that would even enjoy a conversation like that. So. I very much um, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the um, intellectual level that it was on. That is something that would challenge me, and I don't know that I always get that. So I love a place where I can go by people who have clearly dedicated a lot of time to developing that aspect of themselves. I mean, there was stuff that just was, wow, like I got a lot to learn. So I'm excited. Well, to be really direct, it is an experiment. I, I relate to it as an exploration and an experiment. Um and the people who have stuck with it, because we kind of restarted it back in March. So I had done variations of it before, but we restarted it for sure with lockdown and quarantine, et cetera. Um, I just know that your voice is a, is a complimentary one to what we've been doing and your, your perspective and what you value. Is like this, if this guy engages with us, it's only going to be good for all of us. That I was, appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, I hope you really know that about yourself because it's it's obvious to me yeah i hope you i do now thank you Colin. <laughs> <laughs> all right so i'll see you later i look forward to another ice bath yeah i'll be ready next time don't you worry yeah Have some we, won't be, suit, we won't be just like get out of your car and hop in yeah get in your boxes and jump <laughs> in this ice bath <laughs> that's literally what happened yeah it is which has never been done before so well done thanks fullest prices all right i don't want you to be late for pt and thank you thank thank you for having me my pleasure so there you have it everybody mr evan trounsu hopefully i said his last name right uh i didn't want to say it right wrong in the intro fumbled a little bit there um speaker 
author, self-proclaimed speaker, author, functional health nerd. My kind of guy. I think that was pretty great. He was extremely, like I said, committed to data and evidence. And I think that is an incredible gift because people can be really... You know, we throw around so much information as if it is true and as if, as if it has been vetted properly, and we know that's not normally the case. So, Evan, thank you for doing this service. You rock. Um, check out his website, evantransu.com, and you can also book an appointment with him. He is an actual health coach, self health coach Ev, as he says. So... He'll be back, right, Ev? We'll get that actual proper ice bath in uh, for now. Leave it at that. Talk soon. Be well, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your day, morning, evening. Thanks.